Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. And as we look at this new year, what I believe that makes it different for each individual to actually have uh, that, that reckless... That reckless faith, that new year, to those new year resolutions to be different from anything before is, is really boils down to if you're willing to be reckless with it or not. And I want you to, to ask yourself this question. Have you seen God's power this year? Have you seen God's power this year? Without a doubt. Have you seen it in your life? Have you seen it in, in church? Have you seen it? around you? Have you seen God's power to where it would be evident, not only for you, but somebody around you too? Would it it be undeniable as just God's power or is it just merely circumstantial coincidence? You've really seen God's power. And I believe that God's power is consistently matched to the level of reckless actions of our faith. In short, the more reckless faith, the more power of God. I mean, think about even miracles in the Bible. Why is it that in America, we, we don't really see that very often? You hear stories. I, I've, I, I've heard plenty of stories of, of seeing a, a miraculous healing. I, I, I know people that could not walk and that started walking, but it's still rare. It's so rare. But when you go to, to third world countries like uh, even Africa or anywhere else, they, they have miracles all the time. It's because they, they literally have no other options. They just need a miracle. No, with us, we're like, well, let me go to the doctor first. You know? and not, not saying that I don't want anyone to go to the doctor, but we, we have so many alternatives in America. We have so much privilege in America that it gets to a point where it's like, well, I don't really need to trust God. Even when it came to starting this church, I remember there's so many, uh, so many different networking organizations that that's uh, offered these different assistant programs and all you have to have is good credit and you'll get matched dollar to dollar up to x amount of dollars and that way you can start a church like you know right away you don't even have to to build it up from ground zero you'll be starting your first church service with 200 people all you have to do is is fill out these forms and do these certain things and we'll help you and I remember even at that point, I was like, man, that's amazing that we have like that much opportunity in America. It's where it, it becomes that easy. And I remember a, another part of me was like, well, shoot, I guess you don't really need that much faith anymore. <laughs> you don't really need that much faith to start a church. You can just, you know, plan it out. Just plan it. It all works out. And again, nothing against planning. <laughs> not trying to tell us that we need to be uh, foolish and not think ahead. But the point I'm making is that we don't really have to be that reckless in America. Even with the, when it comes to our careers or our jobs, we, everybody has an idea that all I have to do is go to college and then once I get out, I'm going to have everything. I'm, I've already prepared my whole life for once I'm done, I'll have a job ready for me to go. All I have to do is go here or there and I'm going to have a job. And in America, it's, it's almost like we have no need for recklessness. And the people that, that do make those reckless decisions end up just going far above average. Y'all dig what I'm saying? People who make reckless decisions like starting their own business rather than climbing the corporate ladder, they decide to own their own corporate ladder. And it's those people who make those reckless steps that end up achieving greater. Well, I believe in our faith, it's the same way. And... Next year, in January, we're going to be starting a series called Starting Over. And so this last message of 2018 is a great segue. But I want want to ask you guys, what is going to make this year different than any other year? We all have desires to achieve greater in our lives by intending to do things differently. We all have intentions, yet we always end up just falling into the same old habits that leave us in the same ordinary spot of the year before this year we will only see a change if we make some reckless changes in our life and 
I wanted to, I wanted to do something a little bit different today, and I really felt led to share some stories. Do y'all like stories? Someone say story time. I wanted to share uh, two stories. I wanted to share the tes- my testimony of how I gave my life to Christ. And I wanted to share this church's testimony. I think it's a, a, a perfect time being the last service of the year for us to look back and reflect. Y'all ever like uh, to reflect on things? That's what everybody does when they grow up is they think about the high school days, the good old days. And I remember uh, even when I used to, to drink and do drugs, I would go to parties or whatever. And there's all these people that uh, were older than everybody else still going to these parties that had all these young kids. And they spent most of their time saying like, oh yeah, I remember when I was in high school. And then someone else would be like, oh yeah, with so-and-so. And it just turns into this reminiscing moment of the good old days, right? And I remember even then thinking, well, that, that's, like a, that's dead. <laughs> that's a long time ago. I mean, don't you want to, like, shouldn't your life be even better now rather than just thinking about the past, but all that to say that we like to reflect on the past, right? We like to, we like to hear stories of how people are where they're at today. And, and when it, when it comes to my story, I remember, uh, it was really hard for me to share my story with others initially. I remember, um, going to a ministry school, a ministry internship with other Christians and, and, it was common for them to share their testimony. Most of everybody's testimony was like, well, I was raised in church. and God, But when I was a teenager, God showed me this or that. And whenever they would ask me, I'd just be like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I, I, I felt ashamed of the things I did. And I never wanted to share because I felt like I would be dishonoring God rather than glorifying Him. And I learned from uh, a story in the Bible... Uh, if you, you guys have ever heard about the, the demon-possessed man that had uh, an army of demons called Legion inside of his body. And it says that he wanted to go with Jesus at the end after he was delivered. And Jesus said, no, you don't need me. You just go and, and share what God has done in your life to others. And with just his testimony, just his story, he had no education, no anything, and he went through 10 towns, 10 of the surrounding towns, and he prepared the way for, for the gospel to be preached and, and towns and, and communities be completely changed by the power of God just with his story. And so when it comes to this story time, as long ago, I was born on a, a very late evening on June 26th. 1992, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was all dark, and then all of a sudden a burst of light. And, <laughs> and it, I was supposed to be born on the 26th, but the doctor was late. And so after 12 o'clock that night, I was born on the 27th officially after midnight. And it's funny when you're a kid and you don't really realize a lot of things going on until you're older. You think that your family is just kind of normal and then you start getting older and then you're, you start realizing like, wait, isn't auntie married to so-and-so? Like, oh no, that's her sugar daddy. Like, <laughs> no, they're not together. He's cheating on her. And you're like, what? <laughs> they gave me candy. How could they? <laughs> it's like your whole universe shatters at one moment when you're growing up. And I remember there's a point where I felt like uh, everybody has that moment of their universe shattering once they realize that their life is, is uh, more messed up than they thought. And I remember the moment that I started realizing that, I started getting really depressed and, and sad. And when I was in middle school, uh, my parents got divorced. I think I was about 11. And I remember I was seventh grade and one, it was the middle of the year. And one day my dad and they were still d- deciding who's going to have, you know, who lives at what house. And I was the youngest one and all my, other, I only had one sister that was about to, you know, she was already about to graduate high school so she could choose to do whatever she wanted. And I was the one that like, we have to figure this out. Who's he going to live with? And we were going back and forth. I tried staying weekends here 
weekends there and still trying to figure it out. And one day my dad showed up and he picked me up from school and we were living in Florida at the time and he picked me up and we moved back to San Antonio, Texas. And I remember that was a, that I, I didn't get to say bye to my mom or anything like that. It was just like, all right, up and go. And then I wasn't able to talk to my mom for the first couple months because, you know, we didn't want her to find out where I was uh, because there was going to be lawsuits and this and that. And they were just trying to figure things out. And I remember just feeling confused, not really understanding what's going on and all these different things that happen in the midst of a divorce. And I mean, I, I always think it's amazing when I hear about uh, families that have like clean divorces. <laughs> I mean, to where they're like, they're still, you know, talking to each other, communicating for the kid or whatever. My, my parents were not like that at all. <laughs> it's like, they have not talked to each other for years. They never talked to each other. There's one time where my sister tricked them and forced them to have uh, a dinner together with us there. And I didn't even want that to happen. I was like, this is the most uncomfortable, awkward situation. I'd rather y'all just never talk to each other again. This is fine with me. And, um, you know, there's a point where... Uh, when I, as I started to get older uh, and going into high school, I started ex- uh, ha- experiencing community for the first time. When I was growing up, I, I moved just about every year, if not two times a year. And I, I went to four different elementary schools, two different middle schools, three different high schools. And so it was, it was rare for me to have a group of friends for a consistent amount of time. And for from seventh grade to my sophomore years as a high schooler was the first time that I was at the, the same town, same city of San Antonio for consecutive years. And so I ended up making uh, certain friends and I remember thinking like, well, shoot, like this is the first time I've ever had a community. This is the first time I've ever had people that I could like feel like they're there for me and I'm there for them. And I started, uh, it's like the moment set you're in high school, you feel like peer pressure is dumb. But when you get older, you're like, oh, shoot, I really did fall into peer pressure. And uh, I remember the first time I, I, I drank, I was a kid that was like, no, I don't want to drink. I don't, I don't have to. And, and I, was a, I think I was a freshman. The f- very first time I drank was tequila shots with, with my mom when I was in eighth grade. Uh, but first time I drank out of my own choice was when uh, – was. A day that a girlfriend broke up with me and I remember I was feeling real down and I had this this uh, friend that was a gang member at the time. He was in the Crips and he just really liked me. I don't know why. And he was like, hey, man, look, I know that you're feeling really down, but this right here. And he showed me a a Bush's beer can. (laughs) He said, this will solve all your problems. (laughs) Literally told me that. And so I said, well, what, what do I got to lose? I'm so miserable now. So I was, that was the night that I started drinking for this first time. And I found out soon enough that I'm an extremist. What that means is whenever I find something that I like to do, I do it excessively to the extremes. And so I didn't just start socially drinking. I started drinking every day. I went from just uh, uh, learning how to chug a beer and throwing up for the first time to where I was drinking a hard liquor and, and drinking before school, after school. Uh, then it, it, it ex- escalated to, to popping pills. Then it, it escalated to um, d- doing uh, dumb drugs like drinking Robitussin and, and taking uh, cough, cold, and congestion pills excessively. And then it turned to, to smoking weed and, and uh, finally the, uh, doing cocaine. And I remember just every time that I was doing these drugs, it was, I was taking it to the extreme. And I, I remember the feeling. Just, I, even the first time I did cocaine, I remember just feeling like, man, I, I don't have to feel these emotions anymore. I could just take this and feel numb. It's amazing. This is the best thing on earth. And the same way in every other part of my life, the first thing, time I stole was a, a Coca-Cola can out of a vending machine. I don't know if vending machines are the same anymore, but all you have to do is reach your arm in there Get, there's a chain that you just find and you pull it one way to change the soda, you pull it the other way to drop the soda. And I remember it was the first time I'd stole and I was like, man, this is amazing. You mean I could, whenever I have lack, I could just take it? 
this is the best thing on earth. And so I started stealing all the time. I stole my clothes. I stole my food. I, I stole gifts from my girlfriend. I would go to H-E-B and, and just pick up bouquets of roses and walk out. And I felt like I was unstoppable. And I remember points where I was, I was going into stores stealing uh, dozens of video games, going to GameStop, selling them all, and then and using them, that to pay for drugs. And I remember I was like, man, I'm starting to get a real like, look at life here. I'm starting to figure things out. I thought I knew what life was now before, but now I really see how it works. And I remember uh, there's moments where I didn't have, uh, I, I hated going home because I felt like I didn't have uh, a sense of belonging there. And so even though my dad had a home for me to go to, I would never go there. I, I, I would rather, I'd li- rather live on the street then go to a place that I had a home because I didn't feel the sense of community. It's amazing the decisions that we'll make based off of our pride and our desire to belong. And I remember there was moments where I'd just be walking the streets of San Antonio till uh, five in the morning. I get tired finally and end up just finding an apartment pool area that had those lawn chairs and I'll just fall asleep there. Other times where I just fell asleep under a tree in a nice grassy hill area. I mean, I didn't just sleep on a bench or a corner. I wanted to find somewhere more comfortable, presentable. And I remember I just would do that from time to time. If not there, I'd find some random friend to stay at their house. And most people just thought I was just like an orphan kid that didn't have a family. Even though I did, I didn't want to go to them. And I remember the moments that I didn't have anything and there was moments where, you know, I I had to prove myself that I didn't need anybody else. We all have moments like that, right? And I proved that I could be a homeless person. I made it. I was able to do it. And all I had to do was go to H-E-B and I would steal cans of ravioli. And I love the fact that ravioli has easy open tops now. That's amazing. That's a beautiful thing. That all you have to do is just, just like a soda can, open the top is perfect. And whenever I didn't have utensils, I would use my, I, I had school supplies because I still went to school. As ridiculous as it sounds, I would just walk to school even though I didn't, I just didn't want to skip school. I don't know why. And I would eat with pencils like chopsticks to the cold ravioli, ravioli can to be able to get my food for that day. And I remember doing all this and thinking like, man, I'm living the life. <laughs> I, I, and I remember a point where even the, the gang members that I hung out with, I mean, there's not, not, not to, to promote any affiliation, but just to give an idea of how extreme I was getting, uh, there's a group called the Sedenios, and they have different groups. I'm not talking about like the, the corporate offices or anything. I'm talking about a smaller group. And usually in that group, one of the requirements is that you have to be Mexican or Hispanic. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but I'm Anglo. And there's a point where, I don't know who they were, but they're like, hey, man, we could make an exception for you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're good enough to be on our team. You can join us. And I remember the points that I started thinking about really joining either or this group or that group, maybe the Crips over here. And I was really critically thinking about it. And for me, there was a sense of belonging of doing that. And I remember thinking, man, I'll actually I'll, right, I'll have like a, a sense of power that I won't have to be on the streets alone. I actually have people that have my back. And I remember it was some real considerations. And I remember uh, always uh, trying to get into fights and, and doing this and that. And I, I, I was lucky enough to have one friend that just that really had talked me out of it. And I decided, well, maybe I'll just hold off on joining for now. And I'll wait, see how the end of this year plays out. And that end of the year, I ended up getting in a lot of trouble, got put on uh, probation I initially got charged with assault and robbery for something that I did. Um, it ended up getting dropped down to criminal mischief. And so I, did, I just got a slap on the wrist with probation. And I remember at that point, I was like on thin ice. At this point of the story, my dad had moved to Austin and I moved in with my sister here so I could stay here in San Antonio. And I remember that even the, the gang member friends I had were like, hey, man, where are your parents? <laughs> where don't think, you know, how are you able to do all the stuff that you're doing? And I remember my answer in my head was, well, they don't care. They don't care. 
That's why I'm able to do whatever I want, even the things that I know that are bad, because they don't care. And see, a lot of times, even nowadays, our parents, people feel so burdened and decisions and trying to help kids to do the right thing that they end up lifting their hands off and, and avoid giving the direction that they need in hopes that they'll still trust them in the end. But what it ends up coming off as is, well, my parents just don't care. I, I've talked to so many other kids like that where they, my, my parents just don't care. And parents love them, of course. My parents love me. But whenever we, we take off that responsibility of parenthood or direction or guidance, it seems like no one cares. And I remember that I, I ended up getting into some more trouble for attempted theft. And I'm, I'm officially not allowed at one of the malls in San Antonio, but I don't want to say it be, uh, on the podcast because what if they don't let me back now? Um, they, they apparently banned me for life then, but I, I still go today. I don't think they recognize me. But I remember I, I got in a lot of trouble. My sister picked me up. Uh, uh, the police have detained me at the point. I was in the back of the cop car. and I, Man, God's mercy is so good. You ever have an experience where God shows you his mercy in the midst of your bad decisions? I had, I had attempted to steal something while I was on probation. I was like, oh, shoot. This is... Anyone that understands the court systems knows that that's a bad combination. And I remember when they were looking up my name, they said, well, your name isn't showing up in the files that you're on probation. So we're not going to have to take you in or charge you anything extra. And I remember at that point, I glorified God. I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> God, you were good. And I remember I had, I'd also had a, a little pocket knife on me, and I also had some black and miles. And I was a minor, and so the, the cops told me, we're not going to charge you for the knife, but the lady cop, she knew that she had the maternal instincts in her. She said, but I am going to charge you for those, the tobacco products because you shouldn't be smoking. And at that point, I started praying against God, no. <laughs> Just give me a break here. And then the, the, they were both in the front seat, and the guy cop looks at her like this, like, come on. <laughs> and they started whispering at each other, and she looked back at him like, what are you talking about? And he kind of gave that look that guys know how to do. He's like, you know, come on. <laughs> Cut him some slack. And, and so they ended up not charging me for any of that. My sister picked me up, and as loving as she was, I'm, I'm really glad that she did this because it was the first time that I experienced any kind of discipline in my life. She picked me up casually, didn't say anything for the first couple seconds, which if you've ever been in trouble, this is my first time, even though I did a lot of bad stuff. First time I had a family member that was upset with me because they cared about me. And I remember I didn't know what to think. And she did what any rational person would do. She got the black and miles and started hitting me with them. <laughs> started yelling at me and and she put me on zero, zero, zero tolerance grounding. I remember I'd never had to stay at home for anything. I didn't understand what was going on. I ended up uh, moving to my mom's in Florida, moved back with her, and, and trying to bring all that, this story to a close. I, I, got into, I got into so many different drugs. I got into so many different affiliations. I got... All the, all the different things that I would do, I remember I, I would end up feeling more and more empty afterwards. I, I had to, to, to do so much more cocaine in order to cope with the, the times I didn't have it. I had to drink so much more for the times that I wasn't drunk. I had to smoke so much more for the times I wasn't high. And it's just like the more that I try to pile into this this need in my heart, in my life, is more that I, would, I ended up making that hole deeper. And there's a, there's a moment where I ended up having to leave, uh, leave my mom's and go, uh, and that's a moment where, transitional statement, I, I ended up moving to Del Rio, Texas, and uh, I ended up moving with my dad's ex-wife, and I remember she was uh, the most... Uh, amazing woman because she she had so many rules <laughs> I remember being so confused like do do normal people deal with this like she wants to know where I am like what is what is this kind of thing and 
I learned so much being, being at her home. And I remember I, got, I started getting cleaned up. I remember I started looking at my family members and seeing how much they drank. And, and I remember thinking, man, I, I don't want to end up like them. I, I remember the family members that were addicted to drugs. And I was thinking, I don't want to end up like that. And I knew that the common factor in between was the excessiveness of it and, and the addiction to it. And so I started, I remember at this point of this story, I started stopping a lot of things. And there's a, there's a moment where I was clean, I was sober, and, and the only thing I was doing at this point was smoking weed, which was a lot. And I wasn't stealing anymore. I wasn't trying to get into fights. I wasn't trying to prove myself. But the thing that stuck with me was all the baggage and all the bondage from the past. And I remember I started having some really crazy demonic oppression. I started seeing these, uh, these demonic faces everywhere. I started hearing voices at night. I remember I, being a, a young thug as much as I thought I was, I was afraid of the dark because I started, uh, I would close my eyes at night and I would hear screaming in my ears. I started really freaking out like some ooga booga stuff. And there was a moment where I asked one of my sisters, I told her about it. And she said, if you leave the Bible open to Psalm 23, it'll keep demons away. Well, I was never raised in church. I was never read the Bible. I, I never even read anything in my life except one book that was a requirement in high school, and that was The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> and so I remember finding this old King James Bible, opening it up to Psalm 23. And when I read the verses, the first verses that said, Though I walk through the valley of shadow and death, I will fear no evil. I remember it just spoke to my heart like nothing ever before. And just that one little verse seemed to have satisfied my soul more than any, any drug had ever done before. And I began reading that night, scripture after scripture, and I was just reading through the book. And all of a sudden I said, well, man, maybe on Sundays this could be like a church time for me. And so I started getting up early, making coffee, and, and reading through the Bible from front to back. And I remember it started just amazing me what was in this book. And I started reading from Genesis all the way to the end. And there's a point in Leviticus with, where it started talking about all the sacrifices that they had to make to be right with God. And I remember all of a sudden it just clicked. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean that the sacrifice on the cross that Jesus was supposed to make was actually to pay for my sins. I never understood that before. And I realized that if this filthy animal could be a sacrifice for sins back then, man, then the, that must mean that the sacrifice Jesus made, made it once and for all. And I was just able to put two and two together. And right there at the dining room table, I would read it. I prayed to God like I've never prayed before. And I said, God, I, I've never seen it like this. And I see what you did for me. And I can't imagine a me living the rest of my life without showing the type of gratitude to you. Because of what you were willing to do for me, dying on the cross, how could I not be willing for, to live for you? And I remember just praying and saying, God, in, in fact, I'm so moved by your love. I, I not only want to be one of your sheep, I want to be used to bring other sheep to you too. I want to be used to bring other people to you because this is the most amazing thing I've ever realized in my life. And I remember dedicating that moment, that, that time. I said, I'm yours, Jesus, from this, this point forward. And I made a commitment in my heart. And I remember God started working on the, the, the things that I was still addicted to. And I remember the last thing I gave up was smoking weed. And I remember it was January 27th in 2010. And it, it was just a couple months after I had said that prayer. And I had realized that the very, I was, the very thing I was holding on to is trusting God for my peace. Because I always trusted drugs for that peace I needed. And now I was feeling compelled to take my faith to another level and trust God for that peace. And I remember it was, it was a moment, it was a Wednesday at this church I started going to after I gave my life to Christ. It ended up being the church I became a youth pastor at. And I remember going up to the altar and, and, and even going to get baptized, water baptized that very day. Because I said, God, I don't want to hold anything back anymore. I try to hold on for these things to give me pleasure and peace, but I want you to be that person for me. And I made a, a reckless commitment to God that day. And from that point forward, God showed me 
how much I could really rely on him. You know, before I had to do so many drugs and, and, and be with so many different people to feel a sense of peace and satisfaction in my soul. But it was always insatiable. It was never enough. He showed me that satisfying peace. Before, I would have to steal whatever I wanted in order to survive, in order to, to feel like I had what I needed. And now, I'm a generous person. I give instead of take. Before, I, I wanted to hurt people because of the hurt I had inside. And now, all I want to do is help people because of how much God has helped me in my life. See, there's a recourse in God. There's a, a change of direction when we find our personality in Him. The very things that we used to cling to, we end up not needing anymore. The very personalities of ourselves that we thought were our destiny, like anger and hatred and bitterness, all that, all of a sudden it turns into love and peace, something different. And it's, it only happens when you render yourself. It only happens when you get to a point where you say, you know what? What if I really can trust this guy? What if I really can put all of my hope in him just like I hear about? What if I were to really enter into this relationship without reserve? See, it's when you make that reckless decision. It was really, I had family members that told me I was being stupid and foolish because I was going to church too much. Before they were just worried about, man, I, I hope he just, you know, can graduates high school and doesn't go to jail or something and now it turns into like man you're going to church way too much it's because you were so messed up before and now you're just trying to find anything to make your life better and you, now it's just god it's just a phase and it, there's a point where i would be fasting now remember this is how crazy i got y'all ever have crazy moments in your faith there was a crazy moment where i was fasting and i wasn't eating at all during the day and i'd fast uh, multiple times a month. And I remember my dad, I, we had a, a labor enduring job and I, I had a, a labor enduring day. And he said, are you sure you're not going to eat something? I mean, we got a big day ahead. You're going to pass out. And I looked up at him and I said, I will live by the word of God. <laughs> I'm sustained by the word of God. I, I will not live off of bread alone, but by every word of, that comes from God's mouth. And he's just looking at me like, all right, <laughs> okay. And see, it's, I, I believe that it was some of those, the very tendencies that I had before in the negative sense of running after drugs, running after gangs, running after all the other things that we know are, are unhealthy for us, that same kind of extremism in my heart, that, that almost addictive personality within me, God turned it into something good. Isn't that beautiful? That's a redemption story if I've ever heard one. Being so addicted to the world, but all of a sudden now I'm completely addicted to Christ. I, and it's only when we make reckless decisions that we really start to see the power of God move. You know, just, just six months after I gave my life to Christ, I ended up going to a, a year-long ministry internship in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I had saved up every dollar, nearly every dollar. I would splurge and get an energy drink here and there. But when I was working at my dad's shop, I, the, the rest of my high school year, I, I saved all the money I could so I could pay, uh, toward, pay at least half towards this internship. I saved like $3,000 and I was able to, to pay for the, uh, the, the, the majority of this internship that I went to. And... I remember I, I was so wanting to, to make a foundational moment in my life. I said, man, I, I've heard so many stories of people giving their lives to Christ. And people have told me personally that the fire that I have in my heart right now will just die out. And that just give it time and I'll forget all about this God thing. And I said, man, I really don't want that to happen, God. And so I only know that the idea of once I go to college, I'm going to probably want to do even worse things that I've already done in high school. So... What if I instead commit the first year of my life outside of high school, the very, uh, what's usually looked at as the best year of your life, what if I just dedicate it to you instead, God? Because I want to have a foundation that will last. I, I want to know you forever. See, I, I believe that the reason that 
people end up falling away from their faith is because they don't make foundational moments. They don't make moments that last forever. They look at just the here and now and they don't think, well, man, this is all I got. It's like we have this idea of plan B. Well, if God doesn't work out, I'll just go back to doing what I'm doing. It's like you're getting married with the idea, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get divorced. It's like we can't do that with God because you'll only end up in that spot. And I remember going through that internship and, and I started learning what church was really like. I never was raised in church. And I started seeing all these church people that were different than I've ever experienced in my life. Some of the most perverted people in the world are, are young Christian men that are virgins. It, I started learning that church was not perfect. I, I think I got into more fights going into that internship than I did when I was running with gang members. And I remember all the different things I learned about church, the ugly parts of church, the beautiful parts of church. And when it comes to starting this church, I met my wife, Lauren, in 2012. And we got married six months later. Not because she was pregnant, but because I told her at the beginning that I wanted to date her to marry her. And if she wasn't ready, then we should, we should stop talking. And you know what she told me? She said, no, I'm ready. <laughs> so we got married pretty fast. And they made us a youth pastors at, at our church pretty much right after we got married. And up to the point of 2016, we did a 21-day fast. And the day after this 21-day fast is when I, I felt so clearly that God ministered to me about moving to San Antonio to start a church. And my first reaction was, no, God, <laughs> that, that wouldn't work out. We don't have anywhere to gather. <laughs> we don't have anywhere to meet. And God started telling me, well, you can meet here, you can meet there. I said, no, 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 we need our own building. We need our own space. And we don't have anything for that. But God just was very persistent just made it clear to me. I just felt so strongly in my heart, even though I didn't want to. So no, you're going to just have to move. And you're going to, things will work out, but you're going to just have to move. And I remember all the, all the things I tried to do to, to double check my heart, to double check this, this calling that I was feeling. And I, I said, well, God, you're going to have to convince my wife. Because <laughs> Lauren, if you know her, She's a person that she, even when I told her I was going to marry her in August she, uh, of 2012, she told me December sounded good. <laughs> she, she, doesn't, she doesn't really like big changes all at once. And so I, I knew if I tell her this, she's going to say, well, let's pray about it for three years and then we'll think about it. <laughs> and I remember going home that day and I told her about it. And right away she said, man, I feel really good about that. That sounds like I, I, I support you. I, su- I, I think that's what God's telling you to do. I remember I was blown away. I was, oh, shoot. <laughs> I remember I said, well, we're, I'm going to ask the pastors now of the church. And if they say yes, then, then I'll know it's you, God. And they're going to probably look at me and say, oh, no, you don't want to do You're not ready, son. They're going to look out for me. And they're going to tell me not to go. And I remember I met with them. And I remember our senior pastor just got this big old smile on his face. and said, man, I th- that, that's amazing. You, you got our, my blessing. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what God's telling you to do. I, I think you need to do it. And I remember I was just thinking, oh, shoot. I, and I had so many different green lights that I, I just knew that God was speaking to me. And there's so many instances where, where God made it so clear. There's even a moment where we, went to, we took our youth group to a youth conference. We took over 50 kids to a youth conference with no paid staff. It was all just uh, uh, youth volunteers. And I just made the oldest volunteer in charge of the room. Said, you're, you just got a new responsibility because you're 16 and everyone else is 14. <laughs> and while we were there, I remember there's a moment where we were at the, this big old church in Dallas. And during the worship service, I felt like God was speaking to me about starting the church. He said, so it's so clear in my heart that you're going to start this church and it is going to grow. It's going to grow. And, and I remember getting so upset. 
saying, God, no, it's not. It's going to be a little piddly church that no one wants to go to. So that's it. I remember I was so frustrated. I had like an emotional breakdown. And we ended up going to the, like they had a youth pastor's lounge and they had these little spiritual cards, all different, like hundreds of cards, all different sayings on it. People that wrote personal messages on the back because they were praying for you to receive that card. And I remember that going into this room and this lady came up and she was hosting us and she's like, oh, I've got one of these cards. I was like, no, I'm all right. I don't need any word from God, okay? And, uh, and said, no, you got to. It, we prayed for these for you to have one. And I remember I was just annoyed by her. I said, I'll, I'll just take one just to, just to make you feel better. And I said, I'll take one from the middle too so it'll be extra spiritual. So it's extra random. And I was a sarcastic jerk. <laughs> I was pleasant, but I was a sarcastic jerk. And I remember I took this card out, and on this card it said, no church is small in God's eyes. And, and I remember it just melted my heart. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> you ever have that aha moment? You're like, oh, shoot, God, like, you heard me back there. <laughs> and all the way up to moving here, God told us to do some very peculiar things, things that I'm uh, even embarrassed of saying that we did. Because I'm a budget person. I, I like to plan things out and have, a, have everything in line. And, and right before we moved, after we decided that we we're going to make the move, I was working, at, I had a very comfortable job on the, on the base, the Air Force base over there. And I, I was putting in tons of uh, overtime, plenty of extra hours. And I was, I was getting paid really well. Very comfortable. And I remember... I even took on a second job at, at my dad's shop. And so I was working roughly um, 70 hours a week. And that wasn't including the 20 hours I would work uh, being a youth pastor. And I made a budget plan to save several, uh, about $20,000 by the end of the year so that when we moved here, it'd be comfortable like any reasonable person would do. And there, I felt so... Uh, I don't want to say convicted, but so different on my heart of doing it a different way. And I felt like God told me to double my giving. And I was, I was like, oh, all right, well, I'll just have to work more hours. And I tried to put in extra hours. And every time I try to work more, I felt like I needed to give more. And it's very counterintuitive to what I was trying to do. And I felt like God really impressed on my heart that he wanted me to learn how to trust him instead of money. And I remember that was one of the hardest things I ever did was to decide to, to trust God with that, just like I trusted God when I gave up marijuana. And I'm not saying that I gave up money or anything, but it felt like it. <laughs> and I remember moving here, and, and the week that we had to move here, we, we had given all of our savings away through different causes. We, we helped support. We gave a 1000 here to help someone go on a missions trip. We gave... Some over here, it was just, we, we started giving to the building fund of our, own ch- our old church. And we were just, we didn't really have anything left. But I mean, I had a peace in my heart that we were doing the right thing, but I felt like an idiot. <laughs> I, I didn't even want to tell people what we were doing because I felt like they were going to just tell me I was an idiot too. And I already knew that. So I didn't want anyone else to say it out loud. And up to the, the moment that we were going to leave, we unexpectedly received a $3,000 check. And the day that we were leaving, packing things up, and that check is what paid our rent, our deposit and everything. We didn't know how we were going to pay it. We were just like, well, we, we're going to move on the 27th, and that's what we believe God's going to do. And we're going to just have to really believe God to provide the rest. And as stupid as that sounded, we just really felt like it was what we needed to do. And the day that we were moving... I had a friend helping us move. This is a guy that was my age. He wasn't, you know, any necessarily better spot than me. And he said, hey, before I go, uh, can I talk to you real quick? I said, yeah, we can go into the closet. (laughs) So two guys just in the small closet looking at each other. So, yeah, what do you want, man? Is everything okay? He's kind of, you know, like not knowing what to say. He said, well, look, uh, God told me to give you this. It was $1,000. It was the night before we were going to move. And I remember it was the first time I really had like an awe moment. I was like, oh my gosh, are you sure that was God? Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, man, I, I just, I, I, I need to give it to you. 
And I remember he left. I just sat on the floor of that closet, just really inspired by this faith. Thinking, man, God, you really mean that if I'm reckless in, in what I'm doing, even when it sounds dumb to me, to where I don't even want to tell it to anybody else because it sounds extra dumb, that you're going to show your power in that recklessness. And even upon moving here, we didn't even promote our, uh, us starting a church. We didn't tell anybody. We didn't ask anyone to join specifically because we really felt like we wanted to reach out to people who weren't already going to church. We, we didn't want people that were already going to church to just try out our church. We wanted to reach people that, that didn't have a church family. And, and as we've grown over this time, every person that's been a part of this church has been people that were not connected to a church family before. And I, I share all this because I, I want you to ask yourself, am I ready to be reckless? Because I, I got to be honest with you, being the pastor of this church that we founded, I mean, I'm going to really compel you to take some ridiculous, reckless decisions like we have. And, and I share all this story to tell you that I, I, I know the fear, the anxiety. I, I mean, I, I'll be even extra transparent. I think being a pastor moving here to San Antonio, I have punched my steering wheel more times in my entire life this last year than any year before. It's been the most spiritual position I've ever been in. <laughs> and, and since we've moved here, I've never brought as many people to Christ in my life than I have in this last year. I was a youth pastor before. I went to, when I was in Baton Rouge, I went to LSU campus and, and I would witness to random college students. I, would, I went to high schools every day of the week going to high school clubs and middle school clubs. And this last year, because we decided to be really reckless in our faith, we've seen more people come to Christ in this one year. I mean, I, 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 I've been blown away when I think about it. I've seen more impact in an individual's life than I have in my entire life. And people that have come to this church, I've seen their lives actually change it hasn't been just one and done like, oh, yeah, we'll never talk to each other again. And so long. Good luck on your life. <laughs> I've seen real change in people's lives that are meaningful. And this is this moving here is big. The biggest stretch of my faith and my endurance in my entire life. I proved that I could be a homeless person before, but <laughs> man, Maybe that prepared me for now. <laughs> you know, it, I've never been so stretched in my life. And going into 2019, I want you to think about what's going to make this year different for you. Are you willing to be reckless in 2019? And I promise you that if you don't, if you're not willing, if you don't decide to be reckless, you're not going to see anything different from any year before. You, you got to make some really dumb faith decisions this year. And I want, I want us to just end with this thought. I want you to end with this thought. And it's in 2019, I'm going to be reckless because. I'm going to be reckless in 2019 because. Think about what that statement is for you. Why, why would you be reckless in 2019? I'm going to just tell you three things that you're going to have to really decide on. Because it's starting off in the year, we're giving a lot of opportunities for reckless decisions. There, there's a lot of things to think about. There's a 21-day fast. There's the reading plans. There's the idea of consistently going to church. There's the idea of volunteering at church. There's the idea of starting to tithe and give. I mean, all these are, are really intimidating decisions at first. But I want you to think about these two scriptures as, as we enter this year. And it's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 through 32. It says, here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. 
It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree. One birds come and make nests in its branches. You know, it's talking about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed. What that means is, is God's ability in you. That the kingdom of God can be planted in your heart. And all it takes is the smallest little seed. If you have any inkling of God in your heart, God can take the smallest little part of you that says, yes, I, I do. And he will grow into the greatest thing, the greatest tree in all the forest, bigger and better than anything else. It just takes the tiniest little seed. And so if you're thinking in yourself, well, shoot, I, I don't have like this crazy passion in my heart. I, I don't have any of that yet. All you need is a little seed. That's all God needs and his ability and power in your life. Here's another verse a couple chapters later in chapter 17 in Matthew. It says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. He's talking to the disciples when they failed to cast out a demon. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. You know, that's two mustard seed moments. Two mustard seed moments. One talking about the kingdom of God in you. The other is your ability in the kingdom of God. Jesus is pretty much saying, hey, it's the same thing. It's not that complicated. Say, so if you have the faith, the recklessness of even just a mustard seed to say, okay, I will. I can. I believe. If you have the smallest little seed, then nothing would be impossible. So I will be reckless in 2019 because someone say I'm able to. If you say I'm able to, what that is, is recognizing a willingness within your heart. You know what willingness means? I'll read it to you. The quality or state of being prepared to do something. Readiness. If you could just find within yourself the willingness, make yourself a state of being to be prepared to do something. You will see mountains move this year. Someone say, I'm able to. You have everything within you to be able to. All you need is willingness. I've heard it once said, if you give God your availability, your willingness, he'll give you the ability. Someone say, I have to. We talked about willingness. This is willfulness. You know what willfulness means? Don't worry, I have the definition. Having or showing a stubborn and determined intention to do as one wants, regardless of the consequences or effects. If you're willing to just determine and decide in your heart what you're going to do, you're going to be able to see those mountains move in your life. You're going to be able to see 2019 different from any other year before. But only if you make a stubborn decision in your heart. Don't tell yourself, I'm going to try to be reckless. Determine to be reckless. Make yourself stubborn. I'm, I, I'm probably, my wife will tell you I'm the most stubborn person she's met. I could say the same about her, but I recognize I'm probably more stubborn than her. And, and what I'm telling you to do is be stubborn in your faith. Just make it, it's going to happen this way or it's not. I, I believe this is going to happen or we're all going to die. That's what I'm telling you to do. Make your faith real. Make it something that, you, that other people notice around you. When you talk to me, don't you see a, a type of determination in my faith? Have you ever doubted for a second my faith in this church? You know why? Because I'm stubborn with it. You need to be that kind of person, that stubborn person. I'm not saying to be like me. I'm saying to be like you, but stubborn in your faith. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It's, it's enough time that the church of Christians have been these, these petty people that focus on the dumbest things and say, God bless you. 
We, we have been the most petty Christians in the world that do nothing and complain about everything. Have y'all not noticed that? Isn't it time for church to really feel like a power instead of just a, 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 a pretty little thing that we go to every Sunday to be cute and good people? I mean, don't y'all want to experience a real power in your soul to where you know without a doubt that God exists in your life? I want to feel that. There's no point. There's no point to just keep Christ as your hell insurance. As your assurance to just make sure if there is a hell that I won't go there. You're, you're missing out on marriage. Who wants to get married and not have sex? It's a ridiculous idea. I would, I would beg that a majority of the reason I wanted to get married was to have the pleasure of that. Well, when we try to become Christians without making him that sincere, reckless faith in our hearts, that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to get the security of Christ, Christianity, the security of Christ without the benefits and pleasures of it. And any marriage, I've talked to plenty of married people, any marriage when they're not consistently having sex, you know how miserable they are? It's a sad thing. We see it in movies and TV all the time. It's miserable. They can't even love each other. That's what we do to Christ when we don't fully commit. And we wonder why Christianity is boring. Someone say, I believe. In 2019, you're only going to see some, some great things happen. There's only a way for you to be willful and willing, and that's if you believe. It's okay to have doubts in our hearts. There's, it's okay to question. You know how many times I've doubted even just being here with this church? But, but the fact that I believe what God told me is what keeps me alive. What you got to do is believe what God told you. What did, the, what did the snake do in the Garden of Eden to Eve? So did, did God really tell you that? She, all he did was inspire doubt to Eve. Did, you think God really told you that? And God has spoken to each of you about certain things. And those, those, the thing that holds you back is that doubt that says, well, I don't know for sure. Why don't you just be a little reckless with it and just go all in as if you have the best hand in the poker game? Just believe that you're going to win at the end of all this and go all in. Just act like you can see everybody else's cards and you're willing to go all in because you believe it to be so. That's what faith is. And if you continue to hold back by just putting up the bet, just matching the bet or folding your hands, you're never going to get anything out of the pot. You're never going to win the game. You're going to just be stuck there in a boring game that is uneventful. What is it that you really want for 2019? What is it that you really want God to do in your life this year? Whatever these things are, you must believe the power of God to work within you and through you. If all you have is the tiniest little bit of a seed of faith, that's enough. If you think, well, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm not good enough. I, I still struggle with this or that. Well, as long as you have a seed, God can do something with that. He doesn't tell you to have everything ready, to have everything perfect. He just says, just start something. Just do it. If you have a little bit of a seed, he can use that. I want everyone here to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you're here today and you're ready to make some reckless faith this year, if you're ready to make a reckless commitment to Jesus for the first time, and you're ready to make him your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So I want us to pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I commit to you. I'm tired of ordinary. I want to see your power. I surrender to you. I give you my life. 
to use it for your kingdom. Tell me what to do. Make it clear. I don't have much, but I give everything I got. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. Jesus, you're the Son of God. You died for me on the cross. And you rose from the dead. You are my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my everything. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.